Welcome to Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. I'm happy to have on the show today, Fred Cerullo, who is president and CEO of the Grand Central Partnership. And he's also commissioner on the New York City Planning Commission. For those of you who don't know, the Grand Central Partnership runs from 35th all the way up to 54th Street between 2nd Avenue and 5th Avenue, Midtown East, which is an enormous area to cover. Fred has been an elected and an appointed official. He began his career as counsel to the minority leader of the New York City Council and served on two New York City mayoral transition teams. In addition to his current role, Fred serves on many community organizations from the boards of Snug Harbor Cultural Center and Botanical Garden to the St. George Theater Restoration and many others. Fred is a Staten Island resident, but was born in Brooklyn. He's a member of the bar in several states and earned his law degree from St. John's University School of Law. In addition, he's a member of SAG, appearing in daytime dramas, films, movies <laughs> made for television and cable, and has starring roles in numerous stage productions. Look at this. It's amazing what you do. The Grand Central Partnership manages one of the world's first and largest business improvement districts on behalf of the Grand Central District Management Association. It serves approximately seven square blocks in Midtown East, 7D square blocks, and covers 73 million square feet, including those surrounding Grand Central Terminal, the landmark transportation hub, obviously we all know. The goal of the nonprofit organization is to deliver public safety, sanitation, capital improvements, maintenance, horticultural displays, business support, and visited, visitor services for the area. And that's a lot of what we need now. So with no further ado, I want to welcome you, Fred, to be uh, on the episode today. Josh, thank you so much. It's great to be here and, and thank you for having me. So you're a multi-talented man from all the things we've described. And, and you really have a big role uh, being that it's, you know, the, the heart of Manhattan. But also, you know, your role is going to be critical to getting through the pandemic. So if you can just dive in a little bit more about your role sure. and the role of the partnership. Sure, I, I mean, I, I think in your introduction, you did a, a great job sort of outlining what the core functions of the bid are. Um, and, and bids generally, we, with few exceptions, um, we, we were all created to do neighborhood development and quality of life, if you had to sort yeah. of sum it up, we really are the, the neighborhood development, um, marketing and quality of life entity for our communities. And you know, in, in your own, the role you play in, 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 in a bid too. I've been Long Island City with my counterpart, Liz Luskin. Yeah. Um, the, the, the fact is that over the years, you know, when bids were first created, in, in a way they were they were created as the anti-government and they they were created to do the things that government couldn't do perhaps wouldn't do uh didn't have the resources to do and every neighborhood is different so the bids creation helped to really create the personality around the neighborhood because as we know our city, like most cities, although New York is particularly different because we have five boroughs and we have so many neighborhoods that we all have our own personalities, right? We all we we all represent something different and and diverse. 
and we're proud of that, but we also want to have our own characteristics and personality and bids permit neighborhoods to do that um, with the thread of instead of being the anti-government over time, we became very much a partner um, while still working on our own to create vision that the city is otherwise not capable of doing because of the, the obligations the city has. And, and so over the years, we became more of a partner um, and yet still were able to retain our own sort of personality traits that that fought the city, right? We, we, we battled the city on policy. We battled the city on legislation. We, we battled the city on quality of life issues. Um, but we are, the, we are go-tos in our neighborhood for trying to improve business, uh, a visitor's a pedestrian's experience, a visitor's experience, our commercial tenant's experience. And how this has sort of moved on in this post-COVID world which obviously we are all focused on because the city has, the world has changed so dramatically in this moment in time. Our neighborhoods have, have also obviously, and, and central business districts really had to step up and figure out how to be, um, I wanna say in one respect relevant and two, how do we support the businesses and owners and those people who are making it into our neighborhoods um, to have an experience that they are memorable and also that provides them what they need. So in this period, Josh, we, we have had to rethink ourselves. Um, I think the concept of us being a partner with the city has been um, never greater than it is now because the city has looked to the bids as a resource in understanding what was happening in our neighborhoods what was the activity in our neighborhoods? What was the changing streetscape um, with respect to quality of life? Which as we know, many of our neighborhoods are um, dealing with increases in, in, in crime and, and other uh, social challenges that are not helpful to a, a, a recovery and bringing people back. And so and we're referring to homelessness when you say that? Yes, I'm referring to homelessness. Uh, mm -hmm crime, uh, drug usage, uh, drug sales. Um, yeah. and, and so those issues, uh, we have been working very closely with um, to try to bring to the attention of both law enforcement and city policymakers and legislators. Um, because our goal is obviously to prepare our neighborhoods and to incentivize the return. Um, we, we need our people back. Yes. And I think we're all on the same page with that. I think where we perhaps look differently is in the direction of what will be the key to having that happen. And, and what do people need once they return or where is their comfort level so that they can return? There's so many reasons why people aren't back yet, but we, we are players. We're at the table with the discussions on how to help make that happen. You know, for our listeners that don't know, there are business improvement districts throughout all five boroughs. Um, and, uh, you know, they're there really for quality of life, which I think is the first seed planted in a quality neighborhood, you know, is to make sure that the quality of life issues are addressed. Just share with our audience, how are you funded? How are we funded? So just to, to fill in a, um, 
what a, a fact of what you just referenced. There are 76 business improvement districts mm -hmm. uh, that make up uh, New York's bid family. Um, we are in every borough, as you said. Uh, there are some in the making and some in the process of expanding. Uh, the interesting thing is when a, a bid like the Grand Central Partnership was in formation in the mid 1980s, you know, it was like, well, what is this thing? And how do we trust where our money goes, which I'll describe in a second. And, and now we have neighborhoods that come together to say, we, we want one of those. And I get phone calls as a as a bid leader, as, as many of my colleagues do, from interested business people, property owners, other cities, um, to say, we, we, we want to look at this and create a bid because we see what the benefits of a bid are in, in New York City. We are funded pretty much, I'll say exclusively, although I should say primarily, by special assessments that are imposed upon property owners. And, and our budgets are approved by the city. Bids are generally entities that fall within a special assessment district. Uh, and, and that enables us to create an assessment that legally can be billed to an owner. Uh, and the city collects the assessment on our behalf and then turns the assessment money that is collected over to the bid. We have a contract with the city of New York through the Department of Small Business Services. And that's what authorizes us to do the work that we do in the street. Bids like ours, as you may know, Josh, we, we issued debt in the early 1990s of over $30 million. So when you're in the Grand Central bid and you see the antique streetlights and the garbage pails and the benches and the planners, we own all those assets. Oh, we wow. changed the light. We changed the light bulbs in Grand Central District. We pick up the garbage and transport it out of the district. So we function very much on a day to day as a, a city within a city, but respectfully as partners with our larger city that authorizes us to do that work. So it's good that you have a funding stream that's there, and you're also hopefully improving the neighborhood so that it improves the value of those uh, building owners. Yes. It, and keep in mind, Josh, you know, we this is not unilateral. We have boards that are made up of representatives who of ownership, commercial ownership, residential ownership, commercial tenants, uh, residential tenants. Uh, and of course, the city representatives are also on our boards, as you know, from your work on on the bid board that um, there's a lot of oversight by the city council and the controller and the mayor's office and our own boards. And so you know, there's um, transparency is really critical to our success, but also getting feedback from the stakeholders as to what they think we need. And I think one of the biggest changes for us, and, and it's highlighted by this COVID period, is um, sort of public realm improvements and the expansion and need for more public outdoor space. And when you, when you look at the history of Grand Central, that wasn't part of it. It was your classic, iconic world's central business district where people nine to five. And over the years, the bid helped to soften those edges and expand the, the day and night for the neighborhood, which again, then changes the retail uh, component, restaurants, bars, lounges, things mm -hmm. that you don't need in a nine to five, you know, you need the salad bar, but when you're going to be open till 11, 12, and 1 in the morning, 
then you need a bar, you need music, you need places for people to spend money and enjoy. You need people where tourists come in the hotels, they need things to do in the evening. And so we've seen that change, but it took a long time for us to focus on a public open space. And so that's where we're focused now, one, bringing people back and two, supporting our business community. But we're spending a lot of time on developing programming and and, uh, managing new public open space that grows, whether we create it ourselves in partnership with an owner or through the development, as you know, our neighborhood is, is now benefiting from rezoning, the rezoning of Midtown East and what that will mean to both the future of, of Midtown East, but also access to new public open space. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the rezoning, but first I just, there are millions of people that come through, you know, Grand Central, you know, terminal and station and the, and the surrounding area that are not now. So just give us an update on what does it look like now on a daily basis in the midst of the pandemic? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, it, it mean, uh, it almost sounds like I'm being humorous to say it's 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 quiet, mm-hmm. um, but our neighborhood is no different than most neighborhoods. Um, you know, our neighborhood does function with two primary populations, and that's the commercial tenants, the employees who come to work every day, and our tourists. Um, two categories, as we know, tourism is not, and I know you've had you know, Fred Dixon and Christy Nicholas on talking about tourism um, on on your podcast. uh, And you know that, you know, that's a a huge, huge area that we're suffering in right now. Um, Again, we're not alone in that, but but it has an incredible impact on New York. Um, And of course, our commercial tenants some of whom have come back to work. We've, we've been working. We never stopped working. We were deemed essential. Mm-hmm. Our staff has worked through the pandemic um, and, and continues to come to work every day and, and provide the services that we provide. But there are still many businesses that have, have not been able to welcome everybody back. I think the numbers that, you know, that we hear uh, and uh, pretty accurate, you know, is it 10, is it 15, is it 20% of employees have returned to work, but it's not necessarily Monday to Friday, it nine to five or eight to six. It's, it's, it's a staggered, even, even those who have returned are staggered. I think the key, I think there's a general understanding that the key is about the vaccine now, um, and people feel close to the vaccine, uh, there's a lot of discussion and preparation for for a change in the world where people will come back once they feel both biologically and psychologically protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to that's a critical piece of the puzzle. Now that we're in the vaccination period, a year ago we didn't know where we would be, uh, but I think we're looking at you know the summer and the fall. We hear is it April? Is it July? Is it September? Whatever it is, it's it's the light is at the end of the tunnel. Um, the question is, will will people come back 100% in day one? Will there be a staggered return? Um, will there be a change in the work rhythm? Yep. Somebody comes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Somebody else comes Tuesday, Thursday. Whatever it is, it, we are desperate for that return. Yes. Um, the vaccines will also give people confidence to travel again, whether it's business travel or just 
vacation and personal time, um, we are all so ready uh, for the insanity of our sidewalks to be overwhelmed and our, our storefronts and our restaurants to be packed and our public spaces to be filled. Um, you know, I, there's no question that while some people have become very comfortable working from home, that the dynamic of actually being with other people in the workplace, grabbing the drink after work, sitting in a meeting, sharing ideas, learning from each other, um, that is missed. Uh, and I know the people that I talk to, while there definitely are those people who love being in their sweatpants all day and, and have found an ease of working that way, most are so ready to come back they want to meet their friends. They want to go for a drink after or a show or a game. Mm -hmm. um, that's what New York is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're ready for it. And, and bids around the city, I, I know it's safe to speak for all of us. That's what we're, we are just prepared for and excited about thinking about as this year continues on. Let's talk about some of the things that people are going to notice when they get back, because construction has continued on some very substantial yes. projects. So if yes. you can, why don't you share some of those projects and then maybe sure. we can also delve into what the future is going to hold with the rezonings. Yes, sure. And, and it's sort of, in some respects, this ties together, but I'll, I'll try to separate the issues. So the one upside and, and the one very positive message that we were able to hold on to through this pandemic period was that no one gave up on New York, right? So, and, and I think that's the, that's, New York at its core. We just don't give up on it. And, and we trust if even when you knock it down, it's going to get up and it's going to, it's going to walk slowly and then it's going to take off as it always does. And that has happened. And, and one of the truest signs of that was what was happening in development, both in, uh, for us, commercial development, but also in the transit projects, the transportation projects that are critical to our neighborhood and that were well underway. And none of them have, have slowed down or lost their pace. So on the commercial side, obviously uh, the JP Morgan Chase global headquarters at 270 Park had begun its, its process of, of redevelopment um, that continued on uh, and it's happening. People will come back and be quite surprised that the building well, we'll see what it, what actual position it will be in, but it's likely not to be there at all um, when they come back. That they will have that, like that experience when the site where one Vanderbilt is was gone. It kind of felt like, and we were around at that time. But it's amazing how you could take down a building where you kind of almost don't notice that it's happening until you could see the other side of the street and the sun is coming to a new place. Um, <laughs> You know, we're, we're all very aware of everything, but yet some things we just kind of miss until it's obvious. Uh, and so uh, we'll, people will definitely see a different version of Park Avenue and Madison Avenue uh, at between 47th and 48th, which is quite exciting. What they will also see is that one Vanderbilt not only had topped off uh, just prior to the, to the pandemic, but the ribbon cutting occurred last fall. Um, and uh, the plaza that they have built, SL Green has built beautifully, will be open and operating that connects Grand Central to the Transit Hall and one Vanderbilt. So people will experience 
that. Is that um, open yet? It's, it's not open yet. It'll be opening very shortly, um, but it is, it's all constructed. It's, but there's still a, a fencing around it, um, but that will be a, a, a really important addition. Um, many people will also see, because they did not get to see it beforehand, but it had opened just prior, a new public space at Pershing Square, just across the street from one Vanderbilt and the terminal, which we were in, involved in the creation of. Um, and they, they will find some other new temporary public spaces in different areas that they can enjoy outside. Pershing Square East, uh, an enhanced 43rd Street. We're working on some things on Vanderbilt Avenue just to provide some outdoor space. What they also will find is new openings into the subway system. They'll be able to get out different locations in the neighborhood that were not there pre-pandemic. Um, which are all additions to the streetscape and the transit system um, as amenities to, uh, to the riding public uh, as part of the development that has occurred around the neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, east side access won't, won't be open or um, ready by the time uh, we hope to have everybody back in the next few months but shortly thereafter it will be, but there are new sections underground mm. by one Vanderbilt that people will access now that did not exist when they were sent home in March of last year. So um, that those, I, I'll use the word developments with a little d, those developments and that progress was a really um, positive sign on the commitment that everyone was continuing to make to New York and, and wanting to have ready for people when they returned. And so, you know, and other things that won't look different, but they will learn more about is in this time, um, the old MTA building on, on Madison Avenue, uh, a new deal was done for redevelopment there. The Grand Hyatt, if they're following news stories or on social, there's a whole new plan for the, you know, at some point when they return, we'll begin to see perhaps the demolition of the Grand Hyatt, which will change the corner of 42nd and Lex. In a As new a way. sports so, memorabilia collector, yes. uh, growing up, that's where the visiting team stayed when they played the New York Yankees. And we used to yes. wait outside to get all the athletes autographs outside the oh, Grand that's right next to Grand Central. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you've seen some of the renderings for the new version of the, of the Grand Hyatt. But what that will do between what one Vanderbilt has done at the Vanderbilt Avenue corridor with the iconic terminal sitting, you know, to its east, and then to the east of that, this, the, this newly designed corner of 42nd and Lex, and the fact that, you know, the Chrysler building is, is, is being completely re-envisioned by A.B. Rosen and his team at RFR, the, the corridor of 42nd Street is just going to be amazing. New public space, uh, new lighting programs, and, and sort of a look where you balance, which I think our neighborhood will always be the best example of how you weave together iconic history and, and, and classic architecture and, and also new state-of-the-art vision for the future. And we're proud of that characteristic of our neighborhood. And I guess the Lord and Taylor building is in your uh, district. Is that correct? Because that was 
initially acquired by WeWork. And then the WeWork uh, saga has certainly been covered and then came in the, the wealthiest corporation in the world, Amazon. So can nice. you share a little bit about what to expect in there and what you think that potentially will do in terms of maybe bringing in other businesses around it? Well, we, we, we you know, look, obviously, well, we love having Amazon come in. I mean, they're planning to bring close to 2000 employees into the neighborhood, which, you know, that is incredible for us. And even more so, it's incredible for our brick and mortar businesses, because that's how you drive uh, the, the sort of the local base of the building businesses. It will bring more restaurants. It'll bring more shops. It'll bring more bars and, and, and lounges. Um, you know, it, it, there is absolutely sort of the, the sad piece of the fact that we lost Lord and Taylor. Yes. Um, and, and so I, that's really important, but we, we couldn't be happier that one, we're a neighborhood that welcomed Amazon. <laughs> I don't have to share with you that, that, that story. Um, about Long Island city. That's for sure. Knowing, knowing the, the, the Long Island city, you know, um, journey that it took with Amazon. Um, but we're really very excited about that. We are actually just beginning our discussions with them about, you know, what, what had to become part of the neighborhood, yeah. uh, what things we could be working on together, what partnerships are, are, are out there and how do we, how do we help them connect their tenants uh, and their employees to, um, to the neighborhood and what the neighborhood has to offer. So, we're really excited about that. And again, that announcement occurred in the middle of the pandemic yes. too. A another very positive sign um, in terms of people, not only not giving up on New York City, but not giving up on our neighborhood. And so the stories during that time were very positive for us and we were thrilled about that, but we're really happy to have them as part of the Grand Central Partnership uh, Midtown East family. With your ears so close to the ground, obviously working with landlords, what kind of opportunities do you think there are going to be for, for new, let's call it office tenants? Do you think there's going to be some opportunity for them to have more negotiable rents or the opportunity to, you know, uh, work with landlords a little bit more for office space coming out of the pandemic? Well, I, I mean, I think we're, we have already seen some of that evidence. Um, we have very smart landlords and landlords that are committed to the city. Uh, if you looked at the bid board, our bid board in 1985, and you looked at it today, we might have different members of the family on the board, but the this is not a neighborhood that people invest in and generally flip and leave. This is a neighborhood, as you know, that is that the the ownership, the developers, the business, they come and they stay and they make uh, the Grand Central neighborhood and Midtown East their home forever. And so they are willing and have been willing. I mean, I am not a party to, the, to any of the lease discussions or negotiations, but I know from the discussions that we have as, as we have as a board and we have as a community that you know, they have all been working with their tenants as best as they can. So I think the answer probably, the short answer is probably yes, there's opportunities um, in this period of time, but I don't think it's an opportunity that will be a, a new one. I think this has been an ongoing sort of 
discussion um, that tenants and landlords have been having through this because it's really important. I think there's also going to be a, a point of view and a, a focus on, you know, what does the what what is the style of people's work when they come back? Mm-hmm. We know our landlords have invested millions of dollars to create a safer environment for their employees to work, more, you know, uh, more touchless uh, technology, uh, how you check into the building, how you navigate the building, um, HVAC systems, uh, open spaces. All this year, there's been incredible investment made by our owners to, to create that kind of an environment for their tenants in the, in the, in the goal of welcoming them back. And, and I think we're going to see lots of different ways of doing business um, that, you know, we're all creative and willing to try out just so long as we get people back. And, and so yeah. that's what we're all focused on is that first day where we can have bands playing in our plazas, welcome people back, seeing our storefronts and our restaurants with both indoor and outdoor dining which is a, a new dynamic in our city, which I think has been proven to be quite exciting and activating. Um, I don't think we lose that. I think we especially when it's this. warm out. <laughs> oh, especially when it's warm out. I, I have to tell you, Josh, I am amazed that even in this weather, there are a couple of uh, restaurants in, in the bid district that have retained their outdoor dining space. And I have seen people in where I'm, I have, you know, I'm scarfed up in my coat and there are people, you know, having guacamole and in 30 degree weather. And I just think good for them. We need, we want them, we need them. And uh, we, we well, so hopefully those. most people want to be social and they want to support their local businesses, right. To keep them there so they can continue to enjoy them. Well, you know what? I think we're all, we're all social beings. I yeah. think you can't really live in New York if you don't have a social aspect to you. And much of us are, we're familiar with our local businesses, right? I mean, that's what makes a residential community so special and the connection between, well, it's no different in a commercial district that, you know, I thought of this during the holiday week, which was always a great week for me to go out to our, mostly our restaurants, but to stop in our stores, the week between Christmas and New Year's, which was always quiet, um, and, and I would stop in the restaurant and I'd have, a, you know, a new year, you know, a Christmas Eve cocktail here and a new year's Eve cocktail there. And you just talk to the manager or the owner or the, the bartenders and the, and you just wish them a good holiday. And it was so strange this year to miss that. And, um, I think that the businesses miss their customers, not just customers generally, but their special customers that would come to the you know, have their after work cocktail before they got on Metro North or jumped on the subway. I think what we're going to see when people come back is our bars and restaurants are going to be mobbed because people are going to want to meet each other and and go back and see their bartender and go back and see the 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 maitre d of their favorite restaurant and um, that energy will return instantly. We hope so. Let me ask you two quick questions. Yes. Your favorite location inside Grand Central Station? Oh, okay. So I have, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it, it's my favorite because it's the place I bring everyone when they come to visit. 
and that's the, the whispering wall, which is it on yep. the lower level near the oyster bar, um, which is an exciting little place that everyone loves, no matter what age they are. If, if they come, I drag them to them. I make sure that they whisper in the corner and it travels across the room. Um, and I think that's probably my, my favorite place because it's so unique and it's so grand central, yes, um, but it's hard to, it's really hard to say because every corner of that building is spectacular. And, but that, I guess I would that's have a, to say, that's that's pick one, that would be that one. Last question for you. You know, you've talked really, you know, very in depth about the role of the partnership and I think how private entity works to improve a community. What would you say would be your wish list to be able to get help from city, state, or federal government to help respark your part of Manhattan? Wow, that's a great question. What would be my wish list? I, I have to say, the top of the list, it would. And, and this sort of trickles down into a variety of other categories, but um, it's, it's all about quality of life, right? So there's two things. There's sort of business support, which comes through financial support. If, if, if this was a perfect world and it was a wish list, I would say we need more money for our small businesses to survive and we need uh, more support with respect to enforcing laws on our street with respect to people who are on the street that need help. Uh, and I just don't mean people who need housing. There are some people who, pe people are confused by this. Everything looks like homelessness when you see someone on the street. That is not the problem with everybody on the street. issue with mental illness in, in the city. Yes. There's no question those people need uh, help. That's correct. I, I would want the city to help those people more and help them period um and also enforcing the laws we have a lot of illegal activity illegal vending so i i feel like it's it's very quality of life based in one respect and then financial in the other we could handle the rest but we need financial support for our businesses and we need a lack of chaos on the sidewalks in the streets and I think that, that those would be at the top of, of the wish list. And then, and then of course, get out of our way, right? Let us, let us do what we know we can do best. And I, I say that respectfully, um, but there are things we could be doing better if we had the ability to do them. But well, right now our business is- Everybody running for mayor of New York City will listen to this episode and take your words and listen to other you know, community and business leaders that know their neighborhoods better than anyone else. And I want to thank you, you know, so much for what you do and for honestly taking the time to be on Schneps Connects. Josh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, and we'll, we'll follow up on lots of these issues. We'll see where we are when everybody returns. I look forward to toasting the drinks with you in Grand Central. Yeah, State. absolutely. Absolutely. I have a list already of, of the order in which we will enjoy them. I love it. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.